Have you noticed? Did you get a lot of flies near you? And then me, as a as a person, not individually, <laughs> no, they, don't, they don't tend to hover around. <laughs> no, I mean, like, just in, are you finding there are loads of flies in your general area, your office, your house? Like, are you getting? Are you finding a lot of insects at the moment in your general day to day? Once again, we need to have that conversation about personal hygiene, Bradley. And you were talking about your personal <laughs> hygiene before you hit record. So this is like, this is an opportunity for us to get uh, this kind of admission from you into the podcast. <laughs> Earwaxing in me AirPods. <laughs> Welcome to episode nine of Keeping On Track. I'm Bradley Williams. And I'm Adam Heath. So um, what did you get up to at the weekend? Um, you, you should probably better guess what I got up to at the weekend because you, you know me pretty damn well. What do you think I spent the last four days solidly doing? Um, playing FIFA. No, I mean, it's a good guess. You'd have been right for the last three or four months. Yes. <laughs> this weekend, Bradley, real football returned. And I have watched every single football match going since about last Wednesday, every day. Did you have crowd football. noise on or off? I had it on. Oh man, what a difference it makes. What an absolute. <laughs> Cause I watched the German football over the last couple of months, um, which they haven't had crowd sound effects on this utterly surreal to watch um, i'm telling you it makes a massive difference it feels like you're watching a normal football match when you've got the crowd effects on does it feel more tragic like if there is no noises does it feel really weird like you've stumbled in oh yeah trains, like kids playing in a park million percent and um a, a, a small part of me quite enjoys hearing the sound of the football getting kicked around because you're just not used to that and hearing it yeah. with the sound of and it, yeah but you're right it's like watching a training session and sky for whatever reason I actually, I, maybe I do get it. Sky and, and BT, for that matter, have, have recognised that maybe people don't want the crowd sound effects. So on Sky, they've already got about five sports channels. You can flick between two channels showing the exact same game of football, one with sound effects, one without. Um, so I did spend quite a lot of time just flicking backwards and forwards to, to test to tease my brain a little bit um, about what it was like with and without sound effects. But I, I think it's a huge win. It makes a massive difference. That's brilliant. That's hilarious. It reminds me of that. Did you ever see that? Um, there was, a, you know, that Tom Cruise version of the Mummy that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, I know you yeah. probably didn't see it, but um, there was a, a massive faux pas where someone at the Universal Promotion Department had released the trailer for the film, but there was a part in the in the trailer where they someone had turned off the soundtrack layers. And right. the music layer. So this trailer came out, and it was literally just noises of people breathing and grunting, like as they were in this scene. And it was the <laughs> weirdest thing to ever see in your life. It's just Tom Cruise going, huh, huh, huh. like that. That was the trailer. It was just those noises. Yeah. It was so weird. It reminds me. Of well, that. I guess um, similar to the football, it's sort of an opportunity to to recognise how important sound is, and often gets overlooked. And I think folks mm. be forgiven for. Sound isn't that important, and actually, it completely transforms what you're watching. I'm sure, like you said, it transformed that trailer, yeah. Uh, and it's transforming this this watching football. It, it makes it feel normal. Suddenly, the world felt a little bit more normal to me this weekend because, <laughs> and it sounded like real football. So, That's how was your weekend? You watched no football at all, I imagine. I didn't. No, I didn't watch any football, um, which was lovely. Um, I um, I watched something, and I did it for you. Because last week you said about how you always feel like I give you homework and and right. uh, and I, and you've mentioned it a myriad of times and it so it feels like gosh if you know if you've if you've watched it and mentioned it so I um I I watched Five Hundred Days of Summer. Hey. <laughs> and uh, I've or... seen it before. I saw it in was it two thousand and nine two thousand. Yeah, 2007 or nine, it came out and uh, I watched it when it first came out and uh, I haven't seen it since. And then I watched it yesterday. Wow. And, uh, yeah. What did you think? I, well, before I get into that, I thought what would be good is for anyone who hasn't seen 500 Days of Summer and because it's a movie that you've referenced many a time in our own private conversations, do you just want to... Do you just want to go ahead and, and kind of explain the plot of the film? Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm giving it some thought. Can I talk plot without structure? I don't think I can. At least I, I've never thought too much about that film in terms of its plot. 
um, to me, and I say this about a lot of films, it's an experience watching it because it is so different. So effectively, 500 Days of Summer is a look at the 500 Days uh, relationship between Tom Hansen and Summer Finn, played by uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Zoe Deschanel. Um, but it's a non-linear film. So it's a film where you jump into random points in that 500 Days relationship. Doesn't start at the beginning, doesn't end at the end. You literally, through the telling of the movie, jump to various different points uh, in their, 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 I was going to say, in their relationship, in their non-relationship. Actually, this is a movie about uh, a, a, an unconventional love story um, where Tom falls madly in love with a girl who is very honest up front and tells him that she has no interest really in a formal relationship. Uh, and then we see the the, the on-off relationship slash non-relationship played out through these random points, these inflection points uh, across the 500 days that we witness. Thank you. And uh, before I jump into my thoughts on this, you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on this. So you, you mentioned this film a lot, as I said. So I'm to assume that you enjoy this movie, you like this movie. So what what is it about the film that you like? You're going to terrorise me, aren't you? You're going to take this away from me, this little joy of this film, and tell me it's rubbish and pathetic and I should watch proper cinema. I can tell it's coming already. Um, listen to that giggle, that little muttly laugh that you do. Um, I actually, um, as you know, I, this is a backstory, first of all. Um, I love the making of movies more than movies. That's well established. That's my interest. Uh, and, and film scores. I love a film score. And, and so many times I might watch a film because I've listened to the film score and loved it. Like I'm absolutely obsessed by film scores. Um, and there was a time where when I started out making films, I was shooting lots of wedding videos and always on the hunt for, for me. Where can I find music that I could use in wedding videos? Um, and I could never sort of, it's always filmmaking and finding good music for your films is a, is a constant challenge. There's, there's some options now. There's some kind of great libraries you can use, but 15, 20 years ago, you were constantly trying to find music you could pinch basically to use in your little home videos. Um, and I realized that rom-coms always had music that was suitable for a little wedding video or something. So I, I literally had a period of my life where I was just watching just rom-coms and I wasn't really watching. I had one in the background just to try and pick up threads of, oh, I like that music. Who's that composer? Let's go dig into their portfolio, find out what they've done, listen to some more of their stuff. Um, and that's the reason that I've watched so many of these kind of films because they were rom-com. They look like the kind of film that could have had a decent score that I could leverage, basically. Um, but when I found this movie, completely different. You know, this isn't this isn't a rom-com. Not 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 by the conventional sense. Um, I love this movie because it does so much different, right? That that non-linear structure is pretty different. You don't see that very often. Um, I think there are movies that do non-linear and they don't really tell you that's what they're doing. Sometimes there'll be a, a twist in a film and you realise you've been watching it backwards or, you know, scenes have been played out of order and that's the kind of uh, little reveal. They suddenly tell you, oh, we've been playing with your expectations. This tells you up front, there's a number on the screen that tells you which day you're looking at in their relationship and it clicks around all over the place. You suddenly jump and you're 200 days in or you're five days in. Um, so there's nothing, there's no lie there. They just tell you, we're going to jump around through this relationship. And that to me was so different. I just, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, it also sticks in my brain, particularly that the opening of the movie, do you remember how the movie opens? Uh, yeah, with that bit of text. <clears> this <throat> says this yep. is based on a true yep. story, that bit, yeah. So there's a disclaimer at the front of this movie. Again, seen it before. But to me, it felt different. It says, the following is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. All right? So that part, we're kind of used to seeing, uh, and you could easily just overlook it and ignore it. Hmm. But then there's a little amendment at the end of that, which... For me, and I, again, I've said it a lot about this movie already. I'd never seen it before, and it was it was it created a personal connection. I guess I looked at this movie, and we're at the beginning, we're at the opening title, and and thought this is someone I can associate with because he's he's telling me a part of his story, and it's got humour. 
So the full line is, the following is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental, especially you, Jenny Beckman, bitch. And suddenly in one line of text, he tells you this is entirely based on a real relationship with a real person um, that I know and have, have, have spent time with. Um, and, and that to me struck me as unique, that this is almost more um, biographical than a, than a biographical film normally would be. It's really honest and earnest. And that, and that, and that's one of the things that hooked you earlier on, was it? That that sort of um, absolutely uniqueness. To me, well, what about the film itself, though? When you were watching the film, did you feel a connection to it, or did you feel like, oh, it's just the novelty of the film is what I'm enjoying? I felt a connection to it because it feels more like real life. The way you're jumping around, there isn't a perfectly told linear story. There isn't the kind of progression there's not a happy ending you know that this is a almost slice of life um and it's jumping very quickly between highs and lows and it, it felt um felt well kind of conceived to me the ideas and principles so at the time i was in mid-20s probably this is a film about people in their mid-20s late 20s about love relationships but it kind of picked the right things to explore so for example there are two different scenes that take place in Ikea and I've lived that life. I've been in relationships where we've walked around Ikea, messed around and had fun. And that's at the early stage of a relationship. And then towards the back end of a relationship, we're at Ikea for, for, you know, an essential shopping trip and it's hell. It's a horrible place to be. And I, again, watching that movie do that and say, this is kind of what life is like and recognizing your own life just felt, inspiring i guess and mm. suddenly realize that this movie's for me and and understands the life i've lived and i'm living and i found it really exciting mm. fair enough fair enough so this now comes that moment you've been waiting for um where i uh i cop a squat on your love for this film <laughs> no i'm joking um no that's that's fair enough and 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 i think there's some um some valid points that you've raised there as i say i saw the film when it first came out and was completely indifferent to it just it just it didn't register with me i i, I couldn't remember anything from it it wasn't something that i walked away and felt particularly passionate about in any regard whether that be in the positive or the negative and so it's sort of just come and gone and so when I watched it on Sunday, it was almost like watching it again for the first time, really, because there was so much of it I just hadn't remembered. I'd, I'd remembered a few things. I'd remembered the fact that they'd messed around with the, the linear storytelling element. Yeah. Um, I remembered the Hall & Oates dance sequence. And yeah. I just remembered how like painfully hipster it was, how, how it wasn't just naturally cool. It was it was painful how badly it wanted to be bohemian, and I remember that making me feel a bit cringy at the time. And all of those things remain really. I, I still feel that it's you know just the things like you know the, the, there's so many trite moments. They listen to French pop music, or her apartment is just this embodiment of everything you imagine a hipster to be. They shop in secondhand bookstores and um and that you know he's his playlist that he listens to it's the whole thing feels so manufactured it doesn't there's no to me it doesn't feel organic at all and so that always ruffles me a little bit because i feel that if something's not true to itself it, it, it it's a facade even like the beginning like the fact that they do this faux eight millimeter um side by side of the two of them growing up but they're they're it's it's 2007 or whatever and they're in their mid-20s so when they grew up it would have been the late 80s um or you know the early 90s or whatever um depending on the age they were supposed to be in the video clips so they wouldn't have been filmed on a super 8 they would have just been filmed on a vhs but super 8 is that kind of instagram hip thing to do so from the off it's 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 trying to make itself perceive perceive be perceived in a certain way so things like that stylistically get my go 
Um, I can see how the non-linear element does play nicely into this idea of when you remember things, you don't remember them in a specific order. But I also feel like it's definitely a gimmick for the movie to make it feel more original. Um, but anyway, so I was watching it, and and I was just, I was just, I was just having problems outside of those things, and I was trying to put my my finger on it. And then I was just doing a bit of searching this morning, just googling a few things, and I found this article. And the summary of the art summary of the article says this, and and I think for me this probably sums up what I feel about it. So it says um, this is from a website called Observer.com, and um, the author is Ali um, Ali Banak. I'm possibly mispronouncing that. And the, the article is called "What We Can Learn Watching 500 Days of Summer 10 Years Later." So the closing the closing statement says. Ten years later, the elements of 500 Days of Summer that made it initially compelling are still there. In, its, in the expertly curated soundtrack and earnest attractiveness of its leads that borders on chemistry. However, it is also thematically dated and its white liberal male gaze is stale. It is possible that fans can acknowledge its failings while simultaneously finding entertainment and enjoyment in the film. While Tom may have only grown at the expense of Summer's autonomy, the audience has the chance to revisit the film and develop their own understanding of its flawed, albeit entertaining, narrative. And it does feel like the movie is particularly shallow. And I I felt like at its heart, for all of its trimmings, for all of its dressings, for the fact that Summer is an independent character, she's actually extremely shallow. And the movie is, is all about Tom's perspective, Tom's perspective of Summer, everything he sees about Summer. It's a it's a bromance movie. It's it's about guys and, and their experience in a relationship. It's not a rom com as such. It doesn't it's been compared to Annie Hall and 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 um when Harry met Sally and things and I totally disagree because those movies the from memory that both the characters are quite developed it's a movie about their relationship as as individuals this 500 days of summer isn't about their relationship it's about tom's relationship with summer i do disagree i think um i've seen that criticism of it and i think it's the easiest criticism to make of it but i think it's almost missing the point because the movie knows it's telling it from his perspective that's the whole point of the movie it's not a rom-com, you're right. We know very little about her. We see very little development. That's the point. The point is he believes in a reality that doesn't exist, actually. People would necessarily feel that way now, but to me it felt incredibly authentic about the way I thought about things and the way I didn't listen and take on board, perhaps. Didn't recognise what someone told me. Oftentimes, we think if, if someone tells us something and it, maybe it's a bit ambiguous, maybe it's metaphorical we have to kind of interpret what they mean in this movie she says out loud exactly what she means and it's it's kind of not not taken to heart not taken on board properly um so i agree with you this isn't a relationship movie but i don't think it says it is i think it actually tells you it's not i think it says out loud this yeah, isn't a relationship it, movie. it does but it doesn't because it what it's it says it isn't but then it wants all the tropes of a relationship movie it says it it says it's not a relationship movie but then you get you know the goofy best friend then you get the 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 shoulder to cry on you get the argument in the public space you get the awkward post breakup exchange you you get all of the things that you get in a relationship movie within that yeah, film I would, I would say those are the things you get in a relationship not in a movie that's mm. to me all those things are the things i could draw parallels with in my own life two yeah. or three times they that to me weren't movie tropes, they were life tropes. I'm like, this is what happens. Yeah. I can, you know, I could draw you my own little cast of people in my life who filled those roles, one of whom I'm talking to right now, and you'd fit onto that little grid perfectly somewhere where, you know, those are the people you were around, right mm. or wrong. That's who, that's who we grew up with, and that's why it felt authentic to me. So I felt it, it was more honest than most movies. It but actually, not, to me, but, was not. Do you not think it thinks it's smarter than it actually is? And that, that's what I'm saying. That's my yeah. biggest issue with it. I think that's it sits movie, there movie sort of top. smugly, like, oh, look how clever I am. But you're not. You're not that clever. I don't feel like this is trying too hard. I don't think it's doing – what's it doing? I don't even see – there's virtually not even a gimmick in it. There the, is. The only gimmick – The gimmick is the visuals. The gimmick is the 
the soundtrack, the gimmick is the structure and the form. All of those things to me feel like gimmicks. They don't naturally well, they don't. lend themselves to the story. See, I completely disagree. I couldn't disagree with you more. I think they all fit together, and 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 the sum of them is this movie. Mm. I've seen movies that use the reverse chronology for no obvious reason whatsoever. They just use it. Yeah, but you take a um, film like Memento, know, like the, the the narrative structure of Memento is reflective of the character's own experiences and in his own fractured mind. Whereas so this, no, but it's not because this I, is reflective. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, obviously, we're gonna. I think we're gonna agree to disagree, but I think the important part is. What's that? Sorry. I'm not even gonna agree to that bit, to be honest. (laughs) You're gonna not agree to disagree. (laughs) You're just gonna disagree with me. That's fine. This is the most of all the podcasts. This is the most uh, realistic podcast we've done. So an authentic podcast we've done so far to how we actually. Uh, feel about films between us sometimes, which is completely well, no, right opposite ends of the spectrum. No, I know you're right. You're 100 right <laughs> about that. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's fine. But no, and and like I said, that's the whole. That's but that isn't that the beauty of 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 the art form is that you can both look at something and see something completely different and have a completely different experience. And I think that's what's so wonderful about films based upon this kind of viewing experience that I've had with 500 days of summer and how um, I feel that films are often represented in a way where they don't necessarily deliver or they deliver differently. Um, And the power of inference, what I thought might be quite an, it might be interesting. It might suck. Um, I wanted to either show you, uh six trailers or read you six synopses of films i know you wouldn't have seen and then i want you to try and see if you can tell me what you think the film's about and what happens in the film and then i will kind of see how well that film embodies its own narrative does that make sense absolutely does yeah i love it well good i'm glad um First of all, I have a, a business story of the week for you. No, this is the business okay. element. This is this is the pickle in your cheeseburger, so it qualifies as a savory snack, not a sweet. Um, <laughs> there's a website called Assholes on Demand, <laughs> and it's a it's a professional um, complaining service. So on their their mission statement reads this: Some people shy away from confrontation and just let and let large faceless bureaucracies walk all over them. Some people can't muster the passion to fight for what they deserve. Some people just don't have the time or resources or know how to relentlessly do battle with insurance companies, airline, cable companies, and the like. That's going to change. We are starting a project that's going to give a loud, persistent and annoying voice to the meek. And they refer to themselves as the X-Men. It says we're like the X-Men, but for assholes. (laughs) That the service was launched by former Reddit general manager Eric Martin and a journalist and and former popular mechanics editor Aaron Scottberg. And uh, I just thought it was hilarious. I just thought, what a great idea. What a great business model. We will go and complain for you. Because, I don't know, some people just don't like complaining, right? What are you like with complaining? I mean, I kind of love it because <laughs> I enjoy the confrontation. Um, I can often never be bothered with the, the amount of bureaucracy that's involved. It's just too complicated and time-consuming. Yeah. Um, I'm not against it. I mean, if I feel passionately that there's a complaint to be made, then then cool. Um but I like to the fact, you know, sometimes my family will mention something to me or ask for input. I want to, I want to see all the facts laid out so I can go in fully armed. I right. know, if I'm going to complain, I want to know exactly why I'm complaining and all the, the steps, if you like, the key moments, dates, instances. Um, there's nothing worse than complaining and realizing halfway through that you're the one in the wrong and you haven't got a, a leg to stand on. <laughs> Egg on your face type situation. There you go. Yep. <laughs> But then don't you realise that there's a second gear of complaining then? Because once you realise you're in the wrong, you just complain your way out of being in the wrong until someone goes, that's not really the conversation anymore. (laughs) 
I'm not that, I'm not that person. I just die of embarrassment if I realise that I'm the idiot. Then then I, I want to fall into a hole in the ground. I remember. I remember. Um, you. I, I can't remember where we were. I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're going to say. It's scaring me already. Go on. <laughs> but you said, because um, you, it's it's a it's a little known fact that you have a nut allergy, and I know yep. that it embarrasses you and you hate talking about it. It doesn't embarrass you, but you hate mentioning it when we go to places. And we were in a restaurant, or we I can't remember where we were, but you you ate something and you said, "Oh, this is making my tongue tingle a bit. I think it may have nuts in it." And I said to you. Oh well, let let's tell the waiter then, and we'll get it replaced with something else. Or let, let I can't remember. Where, as I said, I can't remember. Where, I said let's get it sent back, and we'll get you something else. And you and you said no, no, it's all right. I just won't eat. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was hilarious. You'd rather starve than get something sent back <laughs> because you, you. It's like your choice is embarrassment or anaphylactic shock. <laughs> I don't think that's how it went, but I don't want to rob that story from you, so I'll let you have it. <laughs> how did it go, God? Did you say how you remember it? I'm sure it was something along those lines. Well, I think my version is much less interesting and funny. But <laughs> if you want it, then my, I, I suspect what happened is we said I had nut allergy. The dish needed to not have nuts. They said it didn't have nuts, and then it came with nuts anyway. And then at, at that point, my view is, well, I'm, I'm, I don't trust you anymore then. You, you had a chance. You got it wrong. I'm not going to eat something. Oh, sorry, we got it wrong. Put nuts in it. Let's try again. No, you've already screwed it up once. I'm not going to go. I just don't trust people. Folks, this is the thing. People want to, on my behalf, tell restaurants that I have a nut allergy. Actually, I think, I, I, I kind of want to be, I want to make the judgment. Do I trust these folks to understand? Because I've had too many experiences where they don't. So I want to make a judgment. Am I comfortable that they're going to understand and treat this properly? And if, if they're not, then why would I take the risk? Um, yeah, this assholes on demand. I don't know if it's still live or anything, um, but they actually want volunteer assholes as well. It says, um, your assholeness may not have ostracized you from your friends. It may have held you back at jobs and it may have given you the wrong, it may have given people the wrong impression, but we see your assholeness as a gift, not a curse. Your talents are real and they are needed in the world. So if you're the sort of person that's good at complaining, then you can also lend your services to this company. I've I've got to tell you a quick story. Um, so we've got a, a van, as you know, for the business with all the kit in. Yeah. Van's on, van's on lease. Um, it's a four-year lease. Um, at the end of which, we'll evaluate where we stand and we can we can sort of extend the lease or we can, tr- you know, um, what's the word, trade up to a different, to a new van. We can end the agreement, all different options. And um, there's a there's a bit of a catch on on I assume on lots of van and, and car leases, not just that one, where there was going to be a, a secondary rental period, and it was going to mean basically we've paid all the money we owe them to effectively have purchased the van over this period, mm-hmm. and they were then going to charge us to rent it from them, even though we now had paid. Let's say we paid way beyond what it was actually worth uh, over the term. Now we were going to rent this from them on a you know thousand pound a year or something. It was a crazy kind of rent secondary rental fee um, forever. Basically, there was no termination. It was just going to go on and on every year. We get another bill for another rental of this van that we already had long since paid you know twice as much as it was worth for. Anyway, on on the on the documentation, there's a box on the on the front page of this contract um, to tick: Will this lease enter into a secondary rental uh, arrangement? Yes, no. Simple right. as that. Um, so when they tried to charge us for the secondary rental period, I called up, I've got my paperwork on it and it's ticked clear as day. No, like from the outset, that's the original contract signed by us and by the, the, the lease company, the van company, all the paperwork looks, you know, in support of what we're saying. And, and, and of course the, the lease company said, no, you, you definitely owe us that money. I said, well, have you got the paperwork? And about three or four weeks went by where they would, they couldn't find the paperwork, couldn't get hold of it. Um, and, and the, to this day, this is three years later now, they've, they've never found that paperwork. And they said to me, well, but we know that there will be a secondary agreement. I said, well, there isn't. It's ticked on. I've got my copy in front of me. And they've asked, they said, well, if you've got a copy, fantastic. Why don't you scan it to us and send it to us? And I said, I wasn't going to do that, actually, because I've got the one and only existing paperwork of this agreement we've made. I think that puts me in a, a powerful position, actually. So I'm not going to give you a scanned copy of it. You should have kept hold of your copy yourselves. 
So I'm now sat on the one signed piece of legal paperwork about this van uh, and they've got absolutely nothing. So I think that's case closed. I think we've won that that debate. You're more of an asshole than you realise, see? You could work. Oh, I am. Here you go. <laughs> right, so let's get on to the game. Um, okay. Six movies. These are all fairly recent films. So you ready for the first one? This is The Lighthouse. What's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. Just like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? <laughs> So the rules of this game are uh, what I want you to do now is I want you to, based upon that trailer, I want you to see if you can guess some of the plot, what happens. And um, we're going to see if the, the trailer is good enough that it can help you ascertain what to expect from your viewing experience. And then I will tell you how close you've got to the actual story. And, uh, okay. and you get kudos for, you know, the ones that you get closest to. Well, I guess the film gets kudos because the trailer's well made, but you'll also get kudos for being good enough at understanding the language. So, right, Lighthouse, what are you expecting from that trailer? Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are the same person. It looks like a, a difficult watch, like a, 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 a nervous watch. I feel like I'd probably be quite on edge. Um, it looks, it reminds me of Wicker Man or something, you know, where... Um, probably the audience is pretty much where Robert Pattinson is. We know little, and, and as the film unfolds, we learn more and more and, and becomes more and more frightening, I imagine. Put me out my misery. Is, is there anything in that, or am I chasing the wrong? The the movie is a very very much from, from Robert Pattinson's perspective, so you've got that one bang on. It is total nightmare fuel, so you've got that one bang on. I didn't, I didn't think it was that kind of... I didn't see it as like... There's a like you know there's a ghost haunting it or anything like that 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 did what didn't like that kind of horror to me right yeah so it's a weird one so, so it's kind of like um they've they've got this it's it's more like a sort of a cabin fevery sort of film and they've yeah. both got an obsession with the lighthouse itself and there's the light in the lighthouse and Robert Eggers is is very obsessional with um mythology and folklore and and so there are a lot of there's a lot of greek mythology weaved into it and and there are there's this sense of metamorphosis this idea of change and right. that the lighthouse has become a conduit for emotional and spiritual transcendence this is why I say you're kind of in the similar ballpark because Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are different characters, but there's almost this sense that Robert Pattinson wants to take Willem Dafoe's place. And probably so, you'll become him, I guess. Yeah, kind of he... in a way, yeah. And and so the, there's this real ill at ease relationship that they have, and and there's some secrets that get revealed, and and it's a really trippy film, but it's a, it's a brilliant film. It's amazing. But um, yeah, so so you, were, you I would say you're kind of, I think you've done quite well. Yeah. Well done. That's why I said Wicker Man as well, because to me it was that kind of mm. um, kind of mythological fear rather than there's a zombie girl or something like that. It felt yeah. very much like in your head. So Definitely. 
fantastic well done so so we can say that the lighthouse is a fairly accurate the trailer is a fairly accurate rendition of the film then i think yeah, i think so yeah. so it's quite good yeah. okay cool right um moving on we're going to go with birds of prey um which is the harley quinn spin-off movie starring um margot robbie here we go okay. Can I help you? Why, yes, yes, you can. I'm here to report a terrible crime. And what terrible crime is that? This one. Ah, I told this all wrong. Quick history lesson. This all started when the Joker and I broke up. It was completely mutual. And soon enough, I was back on my feet ready to embrace the fierce goddess within. <laughs> it's oh so quiet. Now that I cut ties with Mr. J, I'm about to learn that a lot of people You're want me dead. All alone. And at the top of that list is this guy. And so peaceful. And but it turns out <laughs> that wasn't the only dame in Gotham looking for emancipation. We can't just rob him. You betrayed him. You killed his BFF. What? You are so cool. You never. And you're dumb enough to be building a case against him. So, unless we all want to die, very unpleasant death, we're going to have to work together. Sure. Psychologically speaking, vengeance rarely brings the catharsis we hope for. Yeah. Are we ready? You blow up Bruce after that hunky Wayne guy. <laughs> Birds of Prey. What do you think it's all about? I don't know. I mean, they didn't... There was a lot of mention of this guy is after us, he wants us, but no one really said why. Or Well, actually, that's not true. She did. She said, you killed his best friend and you own money probably and all this kind of stuff. But I can't really get much more of a handle on it on that. I just see explosions and <laughs> one-liners and setups and punchlines and um, I can't tell you any of the kind of plot. Clearly, she says we're going to have to work together. So it suggests that these are five people who possibly were rivals in some fashion. Certainly not friends. Um, but now I'm struggling to be honest. What about the tone? Very playful. Um, I, I've, it's funny that the music choice. Because I would have said I, I, this is maybe me thinking, overthinking it as a filmmaker of sorts. I, I don't think that music reflects the movie. Right. I think the movie's a lot more aggressive, a lot more kind of. That makes it almost quite comical, but I, I sort of feel like that probably isn't a, a fair reflection of the movie. Okay. I feel like the movie's probably more aggressive, more explosive, you know, soundtrack than comical. Okay. And the film probably isn't as comical as it looks either. Lots of those little one-liners, I think, are probably quite menacing in the actual movie. So it's interesting with this one because I feel like um, it's it, it's a mixed bag. This trailer because the film itself is 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 very irreverent and is very much. I don't know if you've seen Deadpool, but I would say that it's probably closest in tone to a film like Deadpool. There's a lot of playing around with time and space and fourth wall breaking and voiceover and um you get things like uh you know it, just an example it might be something like 
you know, oh, he never really liked me that much. And then the guy walks into the room and goes, you know, I never really liked you that much. And then she'll go, and then she'll look at the camera and go, see, it's that kind of playing around with, with different things like that. Um, the the explosions and and all of that they literally come right at the end. So there's there's there are action scenes throughout the movie, but they're very much fighting and running, and there's not that right. many of them. They're very sort of quick and sort of off the moment, and then they go. There's not these massive set pieces, so that's quite interesting that they they put that in there as much as they do, um, because barring maybe. I thought it was back to back action. I just thought the whole mm. movie has got almost set up. It just goes straight into yeah, and the explosion. That's, and that's the weird thing is there isn't. And it, and the irony of one of the biggest ironies is the fact that the film's called Birds of Prey, and you have all this stuff about oh let's work together. They don't actually get together until the end of the movie. Like the last ten minutes is when they work together, mm. and the only really sort of two people that that spend any time together um, is Harley Quinn and. Um, Cassandra Kane, I think the character. I think that's the character I'm thinking of. Yeah. So there, it's a very fractured movie. There's a lot of different narratives going on, and it is. It really is. And then that whole thing about you killed his friend. That's like one of the biggest spoilers ever because that's actually doesn't come to right at the end of the movie. So Victor wow. Zaz and Roman Sinus are best friends and potentially lovers, and they kill him near the end of the film. So that's not even a. That's not even a. a a driving point it's not even a MacGuffin in the movie so it's a very fractured movie I think probably they've tried to pitch the movie at fans of that I think what they've tried to do and, I, and I, I could be totally wrong I feel like they're trying to pitch the film at guys it feels like a like a very like you said I think you I think you said it, you, it potentially feels like it's hinting towards a more aggressive narrative but it's not and it's all about yeah. it is called the emancipation the fantabulous emancipation and that is essentially what this is, is a breakup movie so ironically this is probably uh, uh, the closest film to 500 days of summer <laughs> that I'm going to show you today so it's um, a very different vibe, I think. It's still got that irreverence. And, and in terms of soundtrack, the soundtrack's much more hip-hop, R&B, rap, that sort of thing. I don't even think that that Bjork song features in the movie. I can't remember. So, uh, yeah, so Birds of Prey, not not a fair representation of the actual movie and also not overly, sent, you know, makes much sense. Um, so here we go. So this is for Honey Boy. Country real hard. Be a 12-year-old. Pie fight. Ugh. It's not a pie fight. Think it through. What's your mother got a job for? Just in case. In case what? I don't In case know. you fail. In case it don't no. work out. Yes, man. Yeah. She's filling your head full of fear. I pump you full of strength. Because we're on a team, and I know you got what it takes. You're a star, and I know it. That's why I'm here. I'm your cheerleader, honey boy. to talk about my dad good take good take you did it you did it good job everybody my dad's not the reason i drink he's the reason i work I'm come, come here come here try to light your I have good instincts. Yeah, I got rodeo instincts. clown instincts, so well, I could never make it in Hollywood. You could if you started when I did. How do you think it feels to have my son paying me? How do you think that feels? You wouldn't be here if I didn't pay you.
I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> there you go. Now you, uh, this is more my kind of area. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So, what is, that, what is it that what is it the soldier? I might regret saying it, but the one obvious difference from the last two trailers is this tells me what it's about. It doesn't hide it or doesn't try to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might now tell me that it, this is this trailer is not at all a fair representation of the movie, and then I'm screwed. But at the moment. It tells me what the movie's about. It gives me an idea of the the story, characters, what I'm going to see and experience. It looks like a coming of age story, mm-hmm. um, a kind of two way one for the a kid coming of age, and actually for the dad as well, probably mm-hmm. learning his responsibilities as a dad. A kind of two way coming of age story is my hunch. I'd imagine there's a reconciliation. You know, there's there's a scene where the child acknowledges you know the the dad the the value you know what he does and then how he actually is now becoming a a strong dad i feel like there's got to be that that reconciliation moment where you see that, that he's learned how to be a, a better dad so, so you are you are about 92% with this film um okay. it it is very much a coming of age tale it's very much about a dad who struggles with his own life and his own misgivings and his own failures and how he kind of envies his son, but also wants his son to have better than he did. And um, there's also a a kind of a a parallel narrative here with, with, with the boy um, who represents Shia LaBeouf grown up and he's played by Lucas, Lucas Hedges as a, as an adult version of himself. And he's basically going through, he has a, literally the opening of this trailer is the opening of the film so he's in a car crash and he gets sent to rehab and it's in rehab he has to revisit his past and his relationship with his dad and how that's messed him up and the end of the movie is basically the older version of himself psychologically revisiting his dad at that point in his life and reconciling the differences and also at the end of the movie the younger version of himself has this moment with his dad where they have like a tender moment together so so it is very much exactly where you thought it was going to be. So in terms yeah. of the advertisement, in terms of the tone and everything, is is spot on. So that movie describes itself exactly as it intends to be, and it is received exactly the same way that it's described. Okay, yeah. uh, right, let's jump into Pixar, and we've got Onward. In times of old, the world was full of wonder and magic but times change i'm a mighty warrior morning mom hey birthday boy by the laws of your i must dub thee a man today kneel before me that's okay i have a gift from your dad he just said to give you this when you were both over 16. <gasps> no way it's a wizard staff dad was a wizard what your dad was an accountant this spell brings him back. For one whole day, Dad will be back. What? Back like back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. I'm gonna meet Dad. Oh, feet! It's getting harder to hold. Ah, he's just legs. I definitely remember Dad having a top part. Oh, what did I do? Hi. We only have 24 hours to bring the rest of him back. Until then, ta-da! Oh, that's great. Dad, you look just like I remember. (laughs) You got a problem, Shane? and then the gas inside will grow with it. Elbows up. I'm trying to focus here. Focus. Focus. Holy, oh, 
huge. And you're... Oh, no. Uh, onwards, a road movie. Um, part of me thought he was a failed sorcerer who, by the end of the film, will now be a successful sorcerer because he brings his dad back to life. But I don't think that was actually the case. Okay. Um, he never met his dad. Dad died before he was born or when he was very little, by the sounds of it. And I don't think that there's much in the, the two brothers. I don't think this is a kind of them building bridges i don't get that vibe i think this is purely him filling in part of his kind of backstory as in meeting his dad i'm gonna guess that he doesn't get to meet his dad the small connection he's had is enough to fulfill him and that he's met he's, he's kind of imagined relationship with his dad is, is good enough actually so it's Pixar, so that obviously there are no prizes for guessing that it has a miserable, bittersweet outcome because that, that's Pixar to a T, right? They they love a film that ends contradictory to what you thought the plot was going to go and where it was where it was conventionally supposed to go. So, so yeah, he doesn't get to meet his dad, that's why. Um, the interesting thing is that the core of the movie is about the relationship between the two brothers. That is the, okay. that is the driving force of the film, is the relationship that the two brothers share. Um, it's a story about identity and discovering your true self. And every person in the film is essentially not living up to their full potential or not is not the person they thought they could be. And the only person that feels that they're someone special is the older brother and his obsession with, with um, like a, sort of a Dungeons and Dragons style game, which is all alluding to their, their history as a species and how they all used to be magical and, and wonderful. Yeah. Um, and that the brother's the only one that gets to meet the dad at the end. Um, and then he realizes that actually his dad all along has essentially been his brother. Like his brother's fulfilled the role of a dad. And so he, right. he gets that, that, that relationship there. And as a movie, it's quite somber. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of loss and heartache. There's a lot of anxiety around getting to this specific place and feeling lost. And, and, and I feel like, None of that is represented in this trailer whatsoever. I think that the film itself feels very different to what it looks like. But I don't think it's a great shot what the movie is once you've seen that trailer. Mm. Okay. Do a decent job of what it's going to be. Cool. Right. Two to go. Um, so, it, so far, I think we're discovering that in general, um, in general, this saying uh, this representing yourself or your product in an accurate way is actually a lot harder than what we realize or the way you represent a product isn't necessarily reflective of the product itself but rather it serves just serves a purpose to gain people's interests that, that's a hard thing to do to take a two-hour movie and condense it to two minutes mm. you could risk of, of misrepresenting it so i think you you, you take the safe route and, and make it as appealing as possible but I think so far, Honey Boy and The Lighthouse have been the most accurate in terms of tone and narrative. Okay, uh, let's go with the King, uh, the King of Staten Island, which is Judd Apatow's latest. I like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Don't be, it's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> you can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. I want to become a real tattoo artist. Your work is mad and consistent. Obama ain't right. Oh, I love your tattoos. This is my favorite. <laughs> I've been dating someone for a little while now. The first guy you date in 17 years is a fireman just like that? You don't think that's weird? You're going to have to pull your weight a little more around here. Maybe help Ray get his kids to school. Kelly, do you know him? He's a new friend. You okay? You know, you could tell me. I'm okay. Oh, I trained her in the car. She's not going to break. You ever think about putting on the jacket? 
Why would you even ask me that? What's wrong with being a fireman? It's fine if you don't have kids, because you don't know if you're going to come home or not, and then your kids are f***ed up. You make everyone around you feel crazy. People are normal, then they hang out with you, and then they're f***ing Jack Nicholson in The Shining or something. I gotta tell my mom you tried to drown me. To the fuck around pool, you're like f***ing eight feet tall. Now let me tell you something, your dad was a hero. And heroes are necessary. And they should be allowed to have families. You gotta get your shit together. Time is passing by very quickly. Why do you think I smoke weed all the time? So I can slow it down. I feel like everybody's always disappointed in me, and I never live up to anybody's expectations. Hey, thanks for listening to all this. You're one of the few people who treat me, you know, like a person. You're welcome. I did um, something similar to 500 Days of Summer at the end there, where he's talking to a child as, as the only person that can understand him. It feels like another coming-of-age movie, um, although I don't, I don't think it is. I don't think that's the right way to describe it. I don't know. That's a, it's a kind of slice of life piece, it looks like. Mm-hmm. There possibly isn't too much story. There's not too much plot. There's not too much progression of, of events happening. Um, you're just sort of joining, I don't know, a few weeks or a few months of that life and watching it develop without, without major kind of life-changing moments happening. Little bit of in, you know internal growth again. I feel like the um, tattooing thing is like a, a red herring. That's got nothing to do with it ultimately. Um, but yeah, no, I'm clueless as to where this is going to go. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, so first of all, I think that the, the the title, the King of Staten Island, I think is supposed to be almost like a, a parody of 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 the moniker because I I personally don't know that much about Staten Island, but what I have heard and what I do know about Staten Island is that people consider it with a very low regard. Um, and yeah. so to be the king, it's almost like being in the king of nowhere it is essentially would be a potentially another name for the movie. So th- there's this sense of like his life is just in arrested development. He's got this ambition of being a tattoo artist, but he's actually awful. Um, the, the tone is very bittersweet. Um, it's actually a lot more sentimental than, than Judd Apatow's other films. And it's, I would say it's probably a lot more somber as well. Um, mm-hmm. semi-autobiographical again uh, Pete Davidson's dad um, was one of the firemen who died in 9-11 and so this is also so there's like a semi-autobiographical element to it and the the movie itself you're very you're spot on about it's not really about anything it's just a slice of life type thing you know this guy's mm-hmm. few a few months in the life of this guy um, it's He's very much like a man-child, a bit of a loser. He's actually, weirdly enough, though, not surrounded by people that are, that are tired of him. So people are very understanding of him, are actually quite protective of him, but gradually become bored of him. So you kind of, you get to that, because normally with man-child characters, you get to that point where people are either just meeting them and thinking, who the heck is this person, or they're already bored of them. This is that sort of in-between stage where people are starting to tire of him. I think the trailer was like fair like it didn't it didn't suggest that this was a movie about getting into the world of tattooing or some competitive tattooing there was no like i don't think it yeah to me it was a fair nod it kind of told me what i needed to know which is this kind of part of him but this this isn't the story this isn't what we're really diving into here it's just an element yeah uh, i think it was honest about that yeah not quite as as, as uh com- complete as honey boy but um pretty pretty damn close cool okay so last one then is um, the rhythm section. I lost my family three years ago. It wasn't an accident. There was a bomb on that plane. I need your help to find the ones who did this. I've got nothing to lose. What about your life? What about it? I'm going to say this once. Even if you succeed, it won't be worth it. My world, my 
Shoemaker is free. He's walking the streets. You promised me you won't do nothing silly. Why are you here? To offer your closure. And how would you do that? Violently. You're much more human than I thought you'd be. Then it's a good disguise. You don't have a clue about the scale of the mess you've caused. It's a thriller, mystery, a little bit of espionage, a little bit kind of sneaking around. Um, and I suspect this, you're asking hard things of me here because you ask, <laughs> um, because I can't tell you what I think I see. I can tell you like my years of film experience, my, what my hunch says will happen. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to look at that trailer and say, what's that trailer showing? Yeah, of course. I can tell you. I can only tell you what the hunch is. Like, my hunch is, like, I'm sure that in there, she's going for revenge and she basically says she's going to kill someone, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and then my hunch is she doesn't because she's not after that kind of revenge. Right. She wants them to say sorry or something and she won't actually shoot them. Um, That would be my hunch, okay. that she's after justice in a different way, maybe ties them off and gets them arrested, but I don't think she would ever murder someone. Okay. It's not a Kill Bill. It's not a revenge movie. Comparing this with Birds of Prey, both movies um, predominantly about female characters, um, female produced. um, So Barbara Broccoli is the um, creative lead behind the rhythm section. And uh, Birds of of Prey, obviously, are very much um, a a whole, you know, um, I think Margot Robbie produced that and female director. Um. But both those movies are very poorly they're very they're very poorly constructed in terms of the, the the way that they're trying to bring people's attention to the the final piece in the fact that Birds of Prey denies the trailer denies the film's um sense of, of whimsy in terms of how it's 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 much more about like I say about breakup, it's a breakup movie and, and actually coming to terms with being a single woman and, and finding power in that. And so it doesn't really do that. It tries to gravitate towards the action, um, which is a very minor part of the movie. And similarly with the rhythm section, so obviously has more more action in it. I would say it's it's much more in line with the Bourne franchise in terms of its kind of neo-realism and uh, it's quite brutal and, and hard-hitting. But it's also very dark and very brooding. And two-thirds of the movie is mostly about her dealing with her grief of losing yeah. her family in this in this terrorist incident and desperately trying to escape a life of drugs, getting embroiled in a conspiracy and just a brutal nature of and the and of the and the isolation behind it. And it's only as she starts to train to become essentially a a, a, a spy, um, at the and that's kind of where the movie heads um, in the latter part of the film is she almost becomes a, um, a what do you call it like a oh, I'm trying to think of like an unofficial spy she becomes a, a covert counter terrorist agent but she's not really assigned to any organisation of any description. Um, was that said anywhere in that trailer? Because I did, I did get the spy element, the espionage. Yeah. Did, I, did they say it? Well, no, but I think it? it's or because I... you have that sort of training with Jude Law and things like that, that element yeah. of it. But it is very much, an, it, it, I think this sets itself up as like Taken or a, a revenge yeah, movie like that, but it's not a revenge movie in any way, shape, or form. It's about a woman who's trying to come to terms with grief and then becomes embroiled mm-hmm. in, in a conspiracy theory as a part of that. 
So to me, it's quite interesting in, in, is I feel that those two movies spend more time trying to get people's attention than they do uh, those trailers trying uh, in more than they do trying to tell you what the film's about which is it's an interesting isn't it i don't know whether that's just coincidence or there's something in that um but honey boy is very much just it's confident in what it's about king of staten island is comfortable in what it's about those two movies not so much do you do you feel, I know you haven't seen the films, but does that make sense to you? Kind of seeing the the trailers from the outside. Yeah, of course, absolutely does. Um, and I don't know if you're what you're referencing is the fact that there is a, a stronger female creative influence in in those movies means they feel like or, or do have to to take a different tact to try and get attention and to try and you know grab people's interest mm. um, and potentially potentially there's something in that because mm. um, I'm wondering what those trailers might have looked like if they've been in the hands of completely different people more yeah. often than not they're not edited by the, the original the, the film creative team the director of such won't be involved mm. so you end up with a perspective of whatever marketing agency's got their hands on that gig you know and goodness knows what way they can twist and turn it yeah um so I, I understood roughly what was happening. Yeah. Um, and I, I probably feel quite happy if I went and watched it because it would match up with what I imagined I was getting. Yeah. Even some of those little plotty points that were proven right, I would feel excited that I, I saw that, I knew that, I understood what was coming before it did. Yeah. I think, I think reasonably truthful. Cool. Okay. Whether, whether the synopsises would have had the same outcome, very hard to say, actually. Mm. That would be a completely <laughs> experiment. <laughs> Those five synopses. I guess we'll just finish up then. So, um, out of five, what are you going to give um, 500 Days of Summer? This might be the first one I've given a score to, but mm. I mean, for me, it's a it's a Brad Williams special for sure. <laughs> Four out of five. Um, I suspect you're going to give it a two and a half. Yeah, would be my guess exactly for you. what I'm going to give it a two and a half. No, yeah. actually, I'm not going to okay. give it a two and a half. I'll be kinder to it than that. I'm going to give it. I'll give it a three. Okay. Yeah. No. For me, it's a four out of five. It's, it's a strong movie. We didn't get into various other aspects, but even technique. You know, there's some technological or some kind of uh, technical ideas that they they used that for me were, were were worth more than a two or three out of five. They they put an effort into to do something a little bit different. Mm. I think that needs recognising. So, cool. so it's a movie I love and think I'll continue to love. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, my man. Well, thank you for your time, and uh, I shall catch you. Uh, I'll catch you on the flip side. For sure. Take care. Thanks very much. Bye bye.